In, in lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with, with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. And Lakeshe Nadira, she's the Empress who tells it like it is. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversations. Conversation with the Royal Empress. Welcome to Conversations with Royal Empress. This is Dr. Hakima Jahad Muhammad, and joining me are my co-founders and co-hosts, Lakashe Nadira and Akira. Today our conversation is parenting. I thought parenting ended at age 18. Now I know it's just beginning. We're talking about parenting older children. We are inviting you in on this very personal conversation that's dear to me personally as I deal with issues with parenting my 18-year-old daughter. It's not like they come with manuals, and I, I think you realize that parenting doesn't actually stop when the children turn 18. Seems like it starts. Yeah. No, exactly. That's the same thing I said. I said, you know what? Now, as I, in reflection, you know, you, you kind of look forward to 18 because you figure you're free, you know, as a parent, you don't have as much to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, it's the total opposite. I feel like since my son has turned 18, shoot, I'm over here like, like, really? Like, everything seems like it just started all over again. I think I'd rather you go back to the womb. <laughs> yeah, we, had, we had way more control than when they were in the womb, that's for sure. Absolutely. I think, I mean, even from then up until shoot at least 16 i just feel like it was way more easier because i think what happens is that because they're transitioning into adulthood and as parents you you find well at least for me i find myself almost at a loss because on one hand i want my child to have independence of course of me and his father I want my children to know how to stand alone and to be able to make decisions for themselves and, you know, to do the things that young adults do, especially knowing that I once was that age. Um, and I believe I was very mature for my age and I made decisions for myself, thankfully, you know, with guidance, of course. But in, when, when you do that and you release and you turn that over, there is there's some discomfort for me, there is a little apprehension. So a lot of, a lot of different things pop up, you know, a lot of emotions. And I think a lot of it has to do with the type of day and time that we're living in. It's not the same when I was turning 18. It's not the same at all. You know, 
today. This is a totally different day and time. And the world is pulling on our children, on us as adults. Shoot, I know adults who can't even make a proper decision in this day and time as it relates to their life. So imagine what that is like for a child. And so that's been a challenge for me just releasing and just saying, okay, you know, I've, I've brought you to this point. You know, I pray that I've guided you. I pray that I've given you enough so that you can make the right decisions. But as you mentioned, Akila, you know, hey, you know, I'm still your parent. I'm still um, responsible. So I don't know, you guys. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and I think that what sometimes we internalize it and we feel when they make bad decisions and they go off that somehow we didn't do something. Mm-hmm. That we didn't teach something. You know, and it's like you, it's like I'm giving you all of this, all this knowledge, all of this wisdom. And I think really sometimes for those of us, um, I mean, and for us anyway, being Muslim, you know, we, we really take exception sometimes. I think when our children kind of get out there a little bit in the world, a little more than we think they should, because then we start to question our example to them. Right. Right. And, um, and I mean, and I think that, that that goes for anybody, regardless of their religious background. But we do. I think we take it personal. And what mm. I've come to realize is that people have their own way of doing things. They come here with their own personalities. And as a parent, we have to look inside and say, you know what? I did everything that I could possibly do. I gave them the best of what I had to give. And what they do really is not a reflection on me. That's if right. you've done what you, what you needed to do. Right. You're not talking about somebody who's been derelict in their parental duties and just kind of let their children out, you know, to the, throw them out to the wolves and let the streets rape. And that's not what we're talking about, you know, but responsible parenting, um, you know, and, and we probably are the ones that are the most guilt-ridden when our children mm-hmm. kind of go astray. But... Sometimes I think we take comfort in what a lot of people say, and that is, is that if you teach, you know, raise a child in in the way that they should go, you know, and ultimately they'll come back, you know, to that right path. And that's something that we have to consider, but it's still hard to watch it. Mm -hmm. It's hard to watch our children make mistakes. It is very difficult. Um, I mean, imagine you see somebody who's standing close to a ditch <laughs> and you're screaming like you're gonna fall or watch out be careful and they're like oh I got it mom I mean I'm good I know what I'm talking about you know and then boom there goes the fall and you're like oh my god like if you would have just listened to me you know if you would have just paid attention but some children um well all children learn differently Some will need to get knocked upside the head. You know, some will need to experience severe pain physically, spiritually, mentally. And guess what? It ain't nothing we can do about it. I have two um, male children. And it's very interesting because I see both myself and their father, you know, in them. And 
I see a lot of my rebellion, <laughs> you know, that I had um, when I was their age. And a part of me feels like, okay, this must be payback. <laughs> this must be payback. Payback is uh, something else, right? Um, and then the other part of me is like, oh, my goodness. Like, if this is what they are you know, at this level of rebellion that I see um, is at this stage right now, I only imagine, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? Because, you know, I have teens, I have like a, a just turned 15 year old and one who just turned 18. So I'm not, I'm just beginning. I'm just at the beginning stage. So it's like, is this going to get bad, better or is it going to get worse, you know, and you don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, that's a good question. And sometimes I wonder if, you know, the better example you are, children think because they see you live in a certain way, they think but they've mastered that by observation. And mm. think that oh my parents did it they made we make it look easy to them like we hmm. shield them we shield them from the decisions of you know like I always would tell my children when you cut that light switch on what happens that hmm. light happens but you don't see the work that goes into making right. that light switch goes on to them they just cut on the light and it's on so to them they don't see the struggle that goes into making that light go on when they open hmm. the refrigerator and that refrigerator is full of food, and they figure, oh, man, I can go in and get something to drink, or I can go in and get something to eat at any time. They don't see the struggle that it took to get that food into the refrigerator. So for them, right. life, is, life is one big bowl of cherries. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think when your children don't, don't see that life is hard because you try to be a good parent and not let them see that aspect of life because you know eventually they will have to see it. It, 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 it could possibly... Um, give them a false precept of what life is. And I think uh, just looking or thinking of my daughter and listening to her talk, she makes life seem so simple. Like, I'm just going to go and I'm moving with my friends and I'm not gonna, we're going to pay this, we're going to split it, and we're going to do this. And it's like, life is not that simple. But right. I, told, I said, what happened if somebody, one or two people can't pay their part of the rent? What happens when you split rent six ways or five ways and one person can't pay, that means everybody else have to pick up the slack. What if two can't pay? I said, so you have to look at that. And, you know, our children don't see that. And I just think the easier you make it look, <laughs> the more blind they become to, to what life is really about. So, I mean, with my 18-year-old, she really thinks she got to figure it out. And so mm. I'm going to move out. I'm going to do this on my own. Like, she really thinks that she can make it on her own at 18. Like, she... Even as a little girl, when she was one, she was such in a hurry to walk. She's always in a hurry to go, go, go. And so she ain't lost that. It's still there. But at 18, she really thinks she got this figured out. So it's, it's so hard. What would you say, because in hearing you say that about your 18-year-old, of really feeling like she can just make it happen and do things, you know, on her own. Think about those who moved out at an early age from their parents' home. You know, I hear oftentimes when I'm speaking in conversations with other parents, with friends, um, colleagues, 
who say, hey, you know, I left my mother's home at 13 or I left at 12 and never looked back or I left at 18 and I've never. And, and so when I hear those things and I know it's fact, because how many of us actually know somebody who left their parents home earlier than later and who made it happen? So when you hear your daughter say that, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Or if I hear my son who talks a, a lot about, especially since he's graduated from high school and he turned 18. And I think just because for so long, especially amongst their peers, school, society, it's all about when you turn 18. When you turn 18. Everything happens when you turn 18. It's like this magical number <laughs> where stuff like explodes in the sky and rockets go up when you turn 18. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what do you say to that? For the children or the young adults, not children, but the young adults, our children, <laughs> um, who feel like when they turn 18 or before they turn 18, hey, it's very possible that they can do it because many people have done it. And are we saying that they can't? Or are we just saying that, well, maybe because at 18, I wasn't capable of doing it? Or... I don't know. I don't even really know what I'm asking. <laughs> I think I think I know what you're asking. And if, if I can just interject. Um, most of the people that I know that left home before the age of 18 and struck out on their own did not do so without serious struggle. Mm. I have a friend of mine who said she had been on her own and she did everything she had to do, including selling her body. But she never went back home. And she did make it. And she did survive but not without scars. So there is a struggle because at the end of the day, you can't even really get a, a meaningful job before a certain age. Back in the day, and particularly if we go back to our parents' generation, you know, they could get away with things a lot more than we could. Those age requirements and restrictions as it pertains to, to jobs nowadays is just not the same. Uh, this generation is far less mature, I think, than the uh, preceding generation. Personally, I did feel like I could make it on my own when I was 18. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was fairly mature and I could not wait to get out of my mother's house, personally. You know, um, and so I, I, I think that, that sometimes that's the, that's the case. I have another uh, a guy that I know who left home because he was out you know, in the streets getting into it with his parents, but today, he has regrets. Today he has, if I would have done A, B, C, and D back then, you know, I wouldn't suffer later on for that, you know, for the future that I could have spent more time with my parent because that parent is now deceased. And so then now you start to feel the guilt of what you did and what you put them through as a young person. So I don't think that those people who made it did so without some sort of struggle. And it's the struggle, I think, that our children need to hear, hmm. even though you overcame it. The other part of that is we have to stop telling our children that they're adults at 18 because they're not. And what I did personally was I never told my child at 18 that he would be an adult. I told him, you'll be the age of majority, and there is a difference. Um, I told him that, and I actually had this conversation with him. I said, the adult brain is not fully developed until about the age of 24, 25. 
That means the frontal lobe is not developed, which means that decision-making part of you is not fully developed. So your decision-making skills are not at the level of an adult. Therefore, I will not consider you an adult. And that's, the, that's, the, that's actually what I told him. Now, he could obviously not listen to me because society has set it up so that at 18, you can go out and you can sign contracts and you can, <laughs> you know, you can do everything. Well, you can't do everything, but there's a whole lot of things that you can do. And the other part of that is that what I used to tell him was, well, at 18, you can, you can sign a contract and you can get in debt. You can be charged as an adult in a crime and you can go and die for this country. That's pretty much what you can do at 18. But it doesn't mean that you can make the correct life choices and life decisions for yourself. And, that, and I mean, and that's just the reality. And so while at 18, we have to start to let go of the reins, we have to pull back. We have to let them start to make their decisions so that they understand how to make decisions. But we have to be able to guide them if we are trying to raise productive and, and, and thinking people, thinking people. Critical. Yeah, thinking. critical. Th yes, giving them critical the critical thinking. thinking. I'm so glad you pointed that out. <laughs> my, look, my son, my boys, they think, but oftentimes I don't know what they're thinking if, if it actually is what's going to help them. Right. You know, because, yeah, so critically effective thinking. Mm -hmm. And you can only get that sometimes through trial and error, but also through guidance and knowing that your parents although parents may not have all of the answers. What my mom used to tell me all the time, and it, 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 it plays in my head, she used to tell me, uh, you, I've been 16 before, but you've never been whatever age she was at the time. Oh, so I when, like that. <laughs> so, you know, right. I, you've been, right, in, in, in a minute. That's like we can tell somebody, you've been, you, I've been 18, but you've never been 38. Right. It's amazing, though. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I I I like that, <laughs> and that's a good way to look at that. Um, but it's amazing how, when you are at a age or at an age where you've already been prepped or told that this is what happens when you turn this age. And so now you're that age and you've been waiting to get that age so that you can do these things that everybody told you that you will be able to do. So then you have a lot of a rebellion that kind of comes in because it wants to challenge and it wants to make it known that, hey, it's like that King Kong beat on the chest. I'm 18, you know, I'm 21 or whatever the, the age might be but this is who I am and you're going to, and that comes with you respecting me rightfully. So, but then you have to also do everything else that quote unquote grown folks do. So it's like, I find in my experiences with, you know, talking to youth, young adults and working with youth and young adults, the part of the 18 or adulthood that they like, it does not, even out as it, you know, when you, when you compare it to the other half, that really speaks towards more responsibility. So I don't mind, you know, the fact that being 18 or 21 or whatever the age is, it comes with the recognition and the respect of somebody 
saying that I'm this age and looking to me, you know, or looking up to me. But when it comes to the other half of the responsibility, you know, I'll pass on that. And I ain't ready to do all that. I still want to be a child. And you can oftentimes see it in the behavior and in the activities of our young adults. And this is not to say, for our, our youth that are listening, this is not to say that um, they're not those who are out there who are of that coming adult age where they don't make good decisions. This is only saying that, you know, going back to what you said earlier, um, Akila, just about the brain development and other things that we know because we see when we look at the masses of your average young adult, I'm talking about the masses. Look at the decisions that are made during that time and then add 20 more years to that and then ask them, would you have still made that same decision, you know, if you were 40 opposed to 20 or if you were, you know, 35 opposed to 18, would you still have made the same decision? Most of the time they will say no. Because now you have the years, not necessarily the age, but more so the maturity to be able to make sound decisions based on experiences, not only of yourself, but of others. So it's more than just coming of the age of 18, 19, 20, and 21. It's more about all of the other responsibilities and everything that comes along with it. You don't get the opportunity to pick and choose. I've, I've seen these memes that come out. I saw one um, where it shows like if you were able to remain, you know, just being able to remain a child, how fun it was being a child because you didn't have all the responsibilities, you know, and every once in a while, hey, I want to be a child too, just so I don't have to be an adult, you know, because sometimes, you know, as a parent, you get tired of adulting. But as a teenager or the one going into adulthood, it's like you're running and racing to get there as if it's a destination. But it's a journey, of course. That reminds me of that song. Who sings that song? Take your time, young man. Don't you Take your time, young man. Mama used to say. Oh, you... that's Junior. I think so. Live your Don't life. You rush to get old. <laughs> You're right. Mama used to say, I love that song. It's actually in my iPod. I listen to that often. Yeah, that's Junior. You know, it, it, it's funny because I'm going to make reference to the 18 year old. Our children who are 18 are just so willing to get out. It's like at that point, they all become, their zodiac sign changes and they all become Aries. They become hard headed don't want to hear nothing ready to just plunge out into the world but it's like you plunge out into an environment that you know nothing about it's nothing wrong we want to get out there and be an adult but you got to tread you got to go out there slowly you don't just rush out in there and that's just like my concern with those who are in a rush to get out i was in a rush to get out so 21 what did i do mary the first man that said i loved you i was just had to be grown and then i get out there and realize it was not that serious like this dude really wasn't ready for marriage and i definitely wasn't ready for marriage so it took me eight months to figure out that you know what i was too much in a hurry to be grown come back home and guess what my mom said you learned a valuable lesson but you're grown now because you've been living on your own. You're going to pay rent now. 
So I learned a valuable lesson. Welcome to the real adult. Right. I'm going to tell you, you're an adult now because you done lived on your own and you lived with a man. So you didn't been married. So now you coming back home, you're going to help around here because you've grown. And I was sitting there like, wow. So I, I mean, my mom didn't charge me now. She charged me like $300 a month just to make a point that life is, when you grown, you got to pay your way. It ain't going to be mm. like when you were 15, 16, when you get the lamp up in your parents' house and just chill and don't have to be responsible for anything. But as an adult, it ain't nobody there to help you. Like when you were a child, mom, can I get $15? Or dad, can I get $20? It's not like that when you're on your own. You don't always have access to that help. And then people look for something in return when you do, when you're a certain age. People look for payment in return monetarily mm -hmm. or they look for other 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 ways of payment be careful what man you take money from because oh oh you ain't got to pay me back sweetheart yeah he ain't got to pay you ain't got to pay him back monetarily but he want to be paid back in, in in a certain type of way so you have to be careful when you do seek help when you get out because people look that's something. male or female right male or female that's male right or female. That's i mean that's, that's deep right I know, I know women have told me I had to stay with a guy. And he was like, oh, you laying up in my apartment. Oh, uh, you know what this means, right? And so the relationship became uh, you in-house sex because you living off me. And so the people that's out there that's going to do for you is strings attached. And oftentimes when you're young, you, you think it's unconditional like with your parents. You don't contribute nothing. And your parents don't require you to really do anything maybe some chores but that ain't nothing in comparison to what you would have to do when you get real world and somebody does something for you what they want in return could very well be your soul oh that's deep. sell your soul yeah it's oof. that's something yeah and it made me think as you were speaking um before uh dr hakima when you mentioned um getting to a point where you are staying with someone in exchange for something. How many times have you had a conversation with a friend or, or someone who said that the reason that they moved out and got married was so they didn't have to stay in their parents' home? Like that was the reason they wanted to be grown so bad. So they married the first person they could find similar to what you said, but that was like literally a go. I'm about to get out of my parents' home. Maybe I don't have the money right now. So I'm going to go ahead and get married. Or I'm going to go ahead and do this thing that I consider to be moving towards adulthood. And we know now just even in reflection, even if we've done it, it was so full of emotions. The emotion and not wanting to experience what we thought or consider to be really rough. Now, I must say that there are others who really did have rough times where maybe it might have been abuse or maybe it might have been something that they may have been going through that was dysfunctional within their parents' home. Because I have heard that a lot, but for different reasons. Some just based on just that spirit of being a young adult and just wanting to fly free. And then the other wanting to escape to get away from something that was troubling or just dysfunction within the home. So I know people have different reasons for doing what they do. Um, but at the end of the day, when you are in a healthy household, there's no place like home. 
<laughs> and everybody usually wants to return again if it was a healthy functional home just so that they could get just an extra extra something extra advice extra nurturing you know a roof over your head and just being in the hood of what i believe the hood to be it still is a sense of nurturing and feeling connected to the oneness of family not to say that you don't have that once you leave the nest but it really is something very special if we're doing our job and if we're doing it right when you are you know under the hood or under the unit in the household with your parents or your parent and your siblings or whatever that you just won't get in the world and again i keep making reference or saying under a healthy you know household that's an important distinction mm -hmm. and we have to make it that if it is a healthy environment because nobody wants to live in a, a dysfunctional environment although you, you spoke on a, a podcast before where you called, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but when you, when you normalize dysfunction. Oh, that, that, the normal abnormal team. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so some people, you know, maybe they're out in the world dysfunctional because dysfunction has become a part of who they are because that's how they were raised. So, mm -hmm. you know, we do have that, but then you have those people that are also out there influencing some of, the, uh, some of our children who have come from a healthy environment and they don't know what dysfunction looks like, you know, and so they can be easily manipulated sometimes. I think sometimes people who have survived dysfunction have learned the art of manipulation. Mm. Wow. You know, and, and, and they can easily influence sometimes children who have not been exposed to that. So they don't know what that looks like or what it feels like. And so you kind of get caught up in it. And uh, I think that that totally happens. But I'm, uh, you know, but I, I just wanted to add that. Um. Yeah, it, it, it causes me um, or brings me to this question. So it's three of us, um, you know, having this conversation. And I'm sure each of us have come from a different type of household. Um, so I'll start with myself. I come from, well, the first part of my life from the time I was born up until I was 12 years old, I lived in a home where there was a lot of family members. It was like a community home. You know, I had aunts, uncles, grandmother, um, you know, my mom, cousins, like we lived, you know, in a community style home where it was all of us, you know, in this big home. Uh, I happened to be an only child and I had the love of, you know, all of these different family members. So that was kind of like the norm for me, you know, until I went to other um, friends' homes. And I'm like, oh, okay, so this is not the norm, you know. And I'm saying all this to say that, you know, we, everybody, they experience different types of, you know, um, family um, lifestyles uh, when it comes to growing up. And then from the time I was 12 up until adulthood, it was just me and my mom. So now I was in a single family home. I did not grow up in a house where there was a male or my, or my father. Uh, my father, um, the last time I um, had my father in my life, I was seven years old. So now I moved from community style family, like home, you know, large family home unit 
to a single parent home ran by a woman. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm mentioning that just because I believe the type or the style of um, household that you come from has a lot to do with, of course, your perception and how you view and see the world um, in comparison to what friends and other people that you may, you know, come upon um, as you as you grow and how it makes you think in terms of what is the norm, what is, you know, considered to be, um, I don't know if I want to say good or bad, but just normal or, um, hmm. And uh, it's actually now causing me to think about some other things. But so before I go into another area of, of discussion, I just know that it makes a big difference, you know, in terms of the types of decisions and then maybe are wanting to get out and maybe away or feel as if it's time for us to go. For me being in the house with just my mom, opposed to being in a larger house, of course, when you're in a larger house and there are more people, it may not always be a lot of room, you know, you're looking for space. When it was just me and my mother, you know, it was relaxed environment, just the two of us, but I still wanted to get out just because that's what everybody else is doing. But I actually stayed home until I was 25. I went away, well, first when I was, um, I think, about 2019, I did go away to college for two years. The first two years prior to that, I still stayed home while I went or went to school, but it was, I commuted. And then I didn't move out until I actually got married. So at the age, I believe of, yeah, 20, I forgot, <laughs> but somewhere it was about 25 or so. And so that was my first time actually experiencing being away. But the people that I ran into prior to that, when I was in school, um, it was like being on your own and having to make those decisions that maybe you're not used to making. It really does. It forces you to become an adult in many different ways. And that's why I think it's important when our children do go away, especially when they go away to college, because they do get that opportunity to kind of experience that adulting, you know. Now, my, my upbringing was, you know, pretty much a, a large family. But it was a military family, so hmm. very the the expectation of being disciplined was high. It was there. It was do as you're told. That's just what you do. You know, it's a dictatorship. It ain't no, <laughs> and this ain't no <laughs> democracy. Mm. But, at the, but at the same time, it was uh, uh, I, I think more well balanced because there was a lot of love. There was a lot of affection shown. Yeah. But I will say it was that household where the man was the head of the house and the woman is the woman of the house and the children are the children and just what it is. Um, but I would say that from a from an upbringing standpoint, you the expectation was you do you you make the right decisions and you you listen to those who know what they're talking about those who are pretty much, I guess I'd say it's kind of military thinking of, you know, those who are in authority over you, you have to respect that authority, respect what mm -hmm. you're being taught. And so for, for me growing up, it was respect those who came before you. So your aunts and uncles and my family was like mother and father, you know, you respect right. it. 
what your aunt and uncle taught you. Because even if you didn't want to hear from your mom, your aunt told you, if you didn't want to hear from your dad, your, your, your uncle told you, or your grandpa told you, or your grandma told you, told you. So it was respect those who have gone before you. And it seems like even within the, the larger black community, that's, that's not the case. We don't want to listen to those who've traveled the path because we think we know better than them. So for me, dealing with my, my daughter, my daughters, I'm trying to explain to them, I'm not teaching you from a standpoint that I don't know. I'm teaching you from what I've lived and what I've witnessed. And so communicating that to someone who's between the ages of 16 and 18, or they feel like, oh, see, you old-fashioned, you don't know. And I know I felt that same way when my parents were trying to tell me. I remember being like 25, 26, or something like that, telling my parents, I really appreciate you. Matter of fact, it was, I was like 29, because I had just had my first child. And I was like, I really appreciate you all. That's just like the emotion I had before. My father damn near choked on what he was drinking. Because he, he and my mother started <laughs> laughing. They were like, oh, it took you to have a child to appreciate <laughs> what we've been trying to teach you. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized I don't know. And I didn't know how to be a mother. Didn't really, this now, now going into my second marriage, which I consider my first because it was the real, it's the real marriage. I didn't know how to be a wife. I didn't know how to be a mother. I really started to appreciate my parents. I don't know what to do. So I just think that, you know, as when we're dealing with our children, they think that they know until they're in our shoes. And that's when the humility sometimes comes. And maybe it comes before the children, but when you get out there and they see that the world is not what they thought it was, I think that's when the humility comes. Like we're having a, uh, one of those sessions. Hi, I'm, <laughs> I'm Akila and... <laughs> It is. Parents, you know, parents need. We need to start a parenting session. I know, right? It's it's a way for parents to vent. Being a parent, I realize, is very stressful. And it's funny because while we even talking, you know, I'm on Facebook just venting still. Like I got to vent to eighty different groups, right? So I'm venting, saying, you know, I thought parenting. I used to think that parenting ended at 18, but it actually starts. The amount of responses that I have from people in like two minutes. It's like, wow, just, mm -hmm. just when people that I normally don't see responding to things that I post, even responded like, because you ask, you, you know, that's it. real. It's yeah. like people can really relate to that. And then I have people saying, hey, I got a child this age and that age, and they're old, their children older than 18. And they're saying, oh, it gets, believe me, it gets better. <laughs> you gonna, They're going to really need you. And it's like, wow, you don't, yeah. as a parent, you think that your job is done. Oh, I'm about to be free. My God, mm -mm. I'm about to be an empty nest of hell. No, Please. that empty nest becomes a big nest when they come back and now they bring children and spouses and all of that. Yeah, bringing <laughs> everything to the table. You're right. I would say for me, maybe my upbringing may be like a cross between the two of you. There's <laughs> <laughs> bits and pieces in there. Um, I my parents divorced when i was young but i didn't live with them uh until i was about three years old because i was in alabama with my grandmother my mom had me and because she was working and didn't have a babysitter she sent me to her mom and so it was almost like i met her <laughs> um you know and i met my father mm. so 
you know, but like I said, but they, but they divorced. And so that wasn't necessarily the best example of a household I had, but my mom began to date my stepfather shortly thereafter and they eventually married. And so I would say when my mother got married, I probably was in a very traditional household with the father and the mother and honestly, just a very, very healthy environment. Um, you know, I always say that my stepfather was like the epitome of manhood and, and, a, and a, a, a very good example of what a man does and what he should do. But like I said, the roles were very traditional. Um, so I did obviously spend time in a house with just me and my mother. But I grew up kind of with the village mentality uh, because so <laughs> many people in my family had an interest in me and helped my mom to take care of me. And so I was definitely one of those children that was loved dearly and completely by a large number of members of my family. However, my mom and I did not necessarily get along very well. Uh, We bumped heads and especially as teenagers. So I probably can speak to being the rebellious daughter and not being able to wait to get out of her household. I was, I waited on 18. Like, like you looking at the clock ticking. <laughs> and in here, I'm like, boy, when 18 get here, <laughs> when 18 gets here, I can't wait. And as soon as I graduated from high school, I was on the first thing smoking up out of my mom's house. Now I didn't, you know, I didn't go away. Like I'm moving out on my own type of thing, you know, but, you know, I just went and stayed with, with an aunt, you know, for the summer. And then, you know, I waited for college and all of that. So, um, of course, going away to college. My mom didn't want me to go away to college. She didn't want me to leave. And I was like, hmm, I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> and so, I mean, so I relate in that regard. I remember, though, um, I'm trying to remember. I had a cousin of mine who visited from California. Now I was older than 18 at this point. And it's something that my mom did that I was so angry with her and I was so pissed off. But in hindsight, now I get it. And so my cousin had come here and I said, oh, I'm going to move with my cousin to Berkeley, California. And I had packed up my stuff. I had my car trying to figure out how to get my car to California. I was getting ready (laughs) to start this new life, you know. And I got up to leave, and my mother, because we had the deadbolt lock, she locked me in the house. and took <laughs> So I missed my flight. But I was so angry, like, how could she? But it was probably the best thing that she ever could have done. And I didn't get it then, but I did get it eventually. But I'm just saying that sometimes we do have to, as parents, you know, make that hard decision that you can hate me, you can do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to let you do this. And she did mm. not. She locked my butt in that house. <laughs> I couldn't get out. Wow. <laughs> you know, children are not going to always think like you think. And that's this something that we have to understand as parents, too. They, if we, especially if, they, if we raise independent thinkers. Absolutely. You know, yeah. if you raise independent thinkers, if you, if you allow your children to experience the world... And see, we are definitely, I think, a little more uh, restrictive in a way, I think, 
because of how society is. So we're a little bit yeah, more, what it is. Yeah, yes. And I, I, I would definitely say that I know that I am. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I would be because I do allow my children to, well, they would be like, no, if they heard me say this. I think I allow my children to <laughs> Okay. But it's freedom in a different kind of way. Freedom to express yourself. Freedom to let me know exactly what you're thinking, you know, without me busting you upside your head right away. You know, I allow you the freedom to speak. <laughs> um, but like you mentioned, Akila, that because the times are different, there are quite a bit of restrictions. You know, I, I know recently I was explaining to my 18-year-old why it's important that when he leaves and he goes somewhere and he decides that he's not going to go where he thought he was going to go, why it's important to let me know when he made a change. Well, if you say that you're going up the street to wherever and you decide to go somewhere else, if something should happen, I'm not even putting it out there that it would happen, but just out of the respect because of the different things that's taking place in this world, I want to know when the change came. That way, if something does happen, at least I have a track to say, okay, you know what? He didn't go this way. He went that way. Well, maybe we need to go look that way. You know, it's just certain requirements that I have just so that if something should arise, then I've covered, you know, I've covered all bases. You know, I like to dot my I's and cross my T's when it comes to parenting. And when I think about it, I know I had a whole lot more freedom. Oh, Lord. Mama, I mean, you know, in some cases, I think I had quite too much. But Me, me too. Maybe not. Me too, honestly. Um, it shifted, me too. But it was a different time. It was a totally different time. I mean, I, I younger, I mean, I had my friends that I may have, you know, hung out with in high school. But my mother knew who they were, too. My son, he doesn't understand why it's important for me to know the name of who this individual is. He'll say something like, I mean, it's not like you're going to know him anyway. So who are you hanging out with? Uh, you know what I mean? If I even told you the name, it, name it's not like you're going to know them. Brother, look, <laughs> who is the person that you're hanging out with? And what's their mama's name? Where do, they, where do their parents live? What is the address? And what is the phone number? He like, Ma, are you serious? Like, none of my friends' parents do that. It does not matter to me. I'm your parent, and this is what I need to do so that I can feel comfortable. Because if, again, something should happen, not that I'm saying that it is going to happen, but I need to, I'm security-minded all the time. That's just a part of who I am, and that's just a part of my training. So before I let you out of this house, I need, these are things that I need to know. Or guess what? You won't be going. It's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust the world that we live in. Hello. And I need to make sure that I've carried all grounds. So this is what you're going to need to do. You want to get out? You want to get free? (laughs) Then cooperate. You know, meet me halfway. But, you know, my son, he, you know, my oldest, he does not get it. He thinks like, my, you are, you tripping. This is way too much. Like, oh my God, my, you know, my friends, their parents, they don't do this. You're doing too much. You're doing the most. <laughs> well, guess what? I'm going to be just that parent doing the most. Okay. I'm going to be the, doing the mostest, if you will. That's just going to be me. And again, it's just because I want to make sure that I'm safeguarding. Parenting has just started right now for me on this level. It's a different level from when I was picking you up and dropping you off. 
Now you're leaving, starting your own car driving, you know, and there are other things that you're going to meet out there as you venture. And I just want to make sure that I'm still doing all that I need to do just in case. And I don't feel guilty about it. You know, I have no guilt at all. None, none whatsoever. Because, <laughs> because I mean, but how can we? But I, but I, but I agree as far as the freedom. I did. I had too much freedom. I, girl, please, I could be out on, on CTA coming home from a friend's house at two and three o'clock in the morning. And so that's too much. Now, I didn't have that much. <laughs> I did. I did. But now, mind you, now, mind you, though, my mother knew exactly where I was because she knew where I hung out. And she knew, you know, she could call over there because she used to always say, uh, it was a friend of mine, uh, and we used to all hang out at his house. And she, said, she used to say, mm, his mother must be, really be patient because I could not have all you teenagers up in my house like that. <laughs> but, you know, but, but I now look at probably why his mother allowed all of us to come over there is because then she knew where her child was. So, you know, that's the other thing. That's, that's sometimes the logic behind people who have the hangout house where all the teenagers go. That's true. Because that parent, that parent can rest assured that their child is safely at home. So, um, you know, but it's, it, it is, it's just, it's, it's hard. It really is hard. And especially when they want to tell you how grown they are, but they have no clue what, what lies ahead for them and that it's no, there's no reason to struggle. There, there are people who say, and I've had people tell me this, oh, well, uh, he's 18 now, so just let him do this and just let them do that. And I'm like, no, because that's, the, that's why so many of us, I think, struggled more than we had to. You know, because so many, and, and I don't mean us three, but I mean people in our, in our, in our generation, who set out and had to struggle because nobody really taught them. They just said, oh, you 18, just go out in the world and just, just go out in the world. And then you got to figure it out. And so then you got people in their 30s and 40s still trying to figure it out. Still trying to figure it out. Yeah, because the guidance wasn't there. You, you're starting lives, people are starting their lives over at 45. Mm-hmm. You know, you know and, yeah, why? That, and why? And yeah. why? Because we don't, we don't do something and it's something, and I don't like to give any credit to what other races do with their children. But by and large, as, as black people, we tend to, I think, kick our children out of the home far quicker than other people. But then look at, sometimes look at the condition that many of us are still in. And, uh, you know, I think we need to change our, mentality as it pertains to that and we want to try real hard to give our children the best start possible because guess what then they don't actually have to come back out of necessity you know Hmm. a lot of us return home out of necessity it's called you know what it's called it's called generational wealth most of the time when we hear that term generational wealth we are thinking about finances which is absolutely a part of it a strong part of it being able to leave your children something so that they're not starting all over from scratch but but another part of that generational wealth is being able to 
leave your children an inheritance that is not only financial, but that is also spiritual, that is also mental and emotional, so that it can touch all areas of their life. We talk about making sure that we have money in the bank and, you know, leaving businesses and things like that. But what good is it to leave you a dollar if you're dumb and don't know what to do with the dollar because you lack some of the very basic things that they could have only received from proper parenting? And when I, I, I'm always being grateful and thankful to the God for blessing me with another opportunity to get it right in the area of parenting. My prayer is always that give me more time yes. with my children yes. while they're still under my voice, while they still will listen to me. Oh, God, just give me a little more time. Because sometimes I look up and I'm like, where did the time go? Dang, I wish I could have taught them this. I should have shared this. And then it's not like you can just wrap it all up in a basket and like, here, here you go. Some things, you know, it takes time. You know, it's like as a nurturer, um, as a person who's a gardener, you know, if I look at my children just as a garden that I'm pouring into, you know, that I'm placing the proper nutrients just by way of my heart and by my soul that I'm giving and feeding so that when they begin to produce not just their seed physically but when they begin to produce the other fruits of their labor I can sit back and say mm, you know and just have a smile on my face because I know it was based on something that I shared with them um so when I it just when you were talking Akila just made me think about the real generational inheritance or, or generational wealth and what it looks like as it relates to being able to share with our children the knowledge and the wisdom that that we've either gotten from our parents or just from living from our experiences um and the things that we've been blessed to just be passed down to us from whether it's even from something that we've read, but we really have to be about it, about that business of making sure that we really secure our future. I don't want to just throw my children out to the wolves. And when I say the wolves, I'm talking about the wickedness of this world. I don't want to just throw my children out there just because, oh, you turned 18, it's time to get out. That makes no sense to me. But see, that's, I think a lot of that just comes from a mentality um, that we live with for so long. So it's not a surprise that our children kind of think the same thing, like, oh, up 18, time to get out, time to move on, because sometimes that's pushed on them. Um, I mean, I've even seen it now where you have parents who have their children taking care of them. I mean, I've read articles, I've had clients to, <laughs> you know, who who talk about how they had to support their parents. So they had to get out at 17 and 18 and go make a job, go get a job and make things happen because their parents, for whatever reason, were in situations where the child had to take care of the parents. And I'm not saying that, I'm not putting, I'm not making any judgment with that. 
all I'm saying is for me, I just know that it's important for us as those who want to do the best at parenting that we prepare in every aspect. Yes, ma'am. A thought came to my mind when you were talking about the generational wealth, not just being financial. Mm -hmm. And I thought, so we can, we can build and we can leave a whole lot of money to our children. But what good is it if we leave them emotionally and spiritually bankrupt? Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So true. And, that, so and, and in a way, we do. I hear so many parents talking about building, building wealth and, and I need all of this money for my children. But you got to pour something else into those children more than just money because if you don't you know they'll they will not even appreciate what you've left behind yeah that's another thing that that's that's yeah that's a whole nother bankrupt in other areas of their life you know so we just gotta (laughs) you know we gotta be thankful for what we do that is good and pray on pray to even improve Mm-hmm. Um, you know what we what we put into our children because there are no do-overs and we all mm-hmm. make mistakes you know because they don't come with a manual and really we can only offer what it is that we know to offer so it doesn't, right. so it doesn't hurt to get some extra help if you if you need it it doesn't even hurt to you know just to go in here like you say because you do parenting classes it doesn't even hurt to do parenting classes if you're yeah. having a struggle in that because somebody else is going to relate to what you're saying we can all we can we some of it part of it probably is getting back to that village mentality too wow the village yeah. it, it, it can you imagine a world that just had a village that they can rely on mm-hmm. so many of our young adults because they did not get um the proper training, you know, or information, I guess you would say, from their uh, parents or just other sources, then they make mistakes. We make mistakes. And I think that for me, um, this is a sensitive subject for me, actually. It's because it's, it's something that I've been thinking on quite a bit, you know, as it relates to parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on it more now as my children are older than I do when than I did when they were younger. And I guess because I feel like this age, this stage of development, it requires so much more of me. Yeah. I mean, to to take a diaper bag and, you know, change <laughs> diaper and, you know, all the other little things that came when the children were young and that yeah, that took something. It definitely did. It took skill. It took a whole lot of things. But this takes on a whole nother life of it on its own. It pales in comparison. It pulls for me. It pulls for me from places I didn't even know. You know, it kind of tugs at my heart in a different kind of way. I mean, I've cried on the inside mm-hmm. just being in this stage of parenting. And it puts me in constant, constant, constant prayer. Oh yeah. I'm always in the upper room. Meaning I'm always reaching higher into my upper higher self because it's what I know will keep me grounded 
and balance is so important because, uh, uh, you know, granted, my, my, my son talks about, you know, me not necessarily, um, or me being too much. And I pray for balance, but I understand why, you know, I may not always have it, but that's a good part of it too. So, but going back to what I was just mentioning earlier, when I think about the so many of our um, young adults who may not have all of what they need because of the lack of guidance and you making mention, you know, Akila of um, that village, this is when we have to become the village. Mm -hmm. We have to become the village. This is why we have conversations with the rural empress, because this is a part of that sharpening, you know, process, sharing the little tips and the tidbits and the little pearls, the little wisdom, the knowledge that we've learned, because ultimately our goal is to create a healthy, happy family unit. Exactly. So if that is the case, then where better else to start than right now? And like you mentioned, parenting classes, if you need it, there's nothing wrong with picking up a book. Um, reading, if, if that's something that you enjoy doing, you know, hearing what someone else may have to say, asking questions. I know back in the day, um, I always would ask the elders. I would always just oh, enjoy yeah. hearing, tell me, you know, especially when I was a new mom, you know, I just wanted to know everything. I wanted to know anything that my elders could share with me. Now, that, now prior to having children, I probably didn't care so much. <laughs> but it's like when you have children and now you're responsible for them, then you realize that it's so much that you don't know and so much that you need to know. So, yeah. I want to tell uh, just a, a really quick story of the village working. Mm. And when it happened, I was excited. And Hakima said, hmm, but it's something that Hakima did. I was sitting here at my house. We were sitting over here. I think we might have been editing the show. And I was explaining to my son why he needed to save his checks girl in a folder. And he, I kept trying to explain it. And he was just like, that doesn't make any sense. Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do that? And then Hakima stepped in and she spoke to why it was important and how gave an example of when her husband didn't do something and how he had to, um, you know, kind of get everything in order to, uh, I think, I don't remember if it was getting a car finance or something, but he had to come up with all of this stuff. But she explained it in such a way that my son goes, oh, and then he looks at me and says, well, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> oh, I remember that. <laughs> I remember and I thought, that. wow, but that, but that's a part of that village mentality though. Because yeah. she could have just stepped quiet and been like, oh, that's a, that's a son-mother uh, conversation. Let me stay out of it. But as my sister, you know, and as a member of that village, she said, he's not comprehending what she's saying. Let me right. see right. and say something. But he got it. And that's right. the thing that we have to understand is sometimes, you know, when we can't get through to them, sometimes mm -hmm. another voice is actually okay. And we have to be comfortable sometimes with people saying stuff 
to our children. And, you know, we've gotten away from that mentality because now you have a lot of people that are on, what can't about, don't tell, don't say nothing to my child. Don't do this, oh, wow. don't do that. And that probably has kind of taken away, destroyed the fabric in a way of our community and in parenting. And then I'll just tell this one other little story quickly. Years ago, when my son was little, we were at uh, the Kwanzaa, the pre-Kwanzaa festival at the South Shore Cultural Center. And he mm-hmm. Acting up and trying to throw tantrums on and everything, and this man walked up. He said, "Young man, did you hear what your mother just said to you?" That's right. And he straightened up, looked up straight. I said, "Thank you, sir," and I had no more problems out of him. But other people will say, "Well, should nobody have to tell your child?" Should no? Yes, they should. Nobody should put their hands on your child or do something crazy. But helping you—that's how we, you know, we have to get back to that. We have to be get back to correcting things and and helping that woman out or that that father out when they're struggling with their children. You know, they got a crying baby and you can you can offer them a tip to help them to comfort that child. We need to be receptive to that. Wow. And it's that is so true. Um, It's nothing like a village. You know, it's like the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the village, the elders. This is the way of our society, at least our original society. What happens sometimes when we follow too much of other people, then we take on their ways and we get further and further away from our original way of life and original way of practice. So that's the one, way, one thing that we definitely have to come back to. I was reminded as you were speaking, I remember when I was doing my um, internship years ago when I had first started off um, in the field of social work and one of my mentors um, at that time, I was doing my internship at the Chicago Urban League. And I remember my um, um, mentor, Bertha Mitchell Smith, um, beautiful social work, social worker, um, who's kind of paved the way for many of us, but she was giving an example to the other two women that I was doing my internship one and she, internship, internship, excuse me, with, and she was talking about a young lady, a client, um, who had come in to the office and she was looking at the young lady who was feeding the baby. The baby was crying and she had this bottle and she's looking at in this bottle, there was like something red. Now, this is a small little child, small little baby, probably a couple of months old. And so she's asking the young lady, what, what exactly is that that you're feeding the baby? Is that Kool-Aid? And she's like, no, it's not Kool-Aid. She said, well, what is it? Because it was red in color and it looked like Kool-Aid. But what it was is it was water mixed with ketchup. Because the young girl, first of all, that's just, she said the baby didn't like the milk. So she decided, you know, to mix the ketchup with the water and the baby was drinking that. Well, that was an opportunity for Miss um, Smith to use as a teaching moment to kind of explain, you know, some of the effects that that can cause on such a small baby. But that also, so she had got out of her role as the social worker, but still was in her role, but then became or got more in the role of the mothering type. 
And it was something about when she kind of shared that story, you know, but I started thinking how many other young girls are out there who just don't know. Sometimes we look at others and their parenting style and we criticize so strongly and we criticize and we criticize never stopping to think that maybe the reason that their parenting style is the way that it is, is because they did not have an example before them who could teach them. So here you see the problem, now provide the solution. And so she went on to kind of give her some information about the do's and the don'ts of, you know, feeding and so forth. And the young woman, you know, was blessed to be able to hear the voice of an elder. And so that we can all live in peace and harmony, this is why it's important that we all participate in this thing called the village. Because it takes more than just one to raise a child. What's our solution for them? What's the solution for those who are 18, who are choose to go out there and for those who are forced to go out? Those are questions that we need to answer. You know, the first thought that came to my mind, uh, Hakima, when you said, what's the solution? I thought, ooh. <laughs> and like, let's, get, let's, let's remember, there are no manuals. We're all shooting from the hip. But we do have examples to look at. And I think part of it is looking to history to understand certain things, you know, as we move forward with, with this parenting thing. I believe in what I've said before, one of the solutions, honestly, is to stop rearing children to believe that they're going to be adults at the age of 18. Not that they don't have the right to do certain things that society gives them, but we have to rephrase or reframe the thinking to that we don't lose their ear at such an early age because they're made to believe that they know it all at a certain point in time, you know? And um, that, that's something that I definitely think that we have to get out of that mentality, even ourselves, of considering our children adults and that your job is done because your job is not done when your child turns 18. That's a good, that's a definitely a good solution. I, I have one. <laughs> and it's just, it's funny because when you're in a situation, you have that aha moment mm -hmm. and you, you grow into wisdom because I've always been that parent. It's something my husband has gotten. He would get after me about all the time. Let these girls grow up. You know, he would always say, no, you let them wash their own clothes. You let them learn how to cook. Stop, stop babying them. And he was right. I would baby them. But, um, I think one big lesson that I've had to learn personally was you got to let them go. They belong to God now. You got to turn them over to him and say, I trust in you. I, I can't control them. So at this point, I've done, I've taken them as far as I can take them. And now I got to trust in my Lord uh, to, to do the rest. And we've done our part and we got to trust in him. So it's definitely a testimony or a test of a parent's faith is when you have to step back and say, I got to let them go through it without interfering with that, that transition or interfering with that, that learning process for them because they may, and just be patient because they may very well be knocking back on their door. I'm trying to come home, I'm trying to come home. It's cold out there. So definitely mm -hmm. that is one solution that I have learned. I, I, I am learning, put it this way. I am learning. Once I get through it, then I can say I have learned. But at this point, I can say I am learning to just turn it mm -hmm. over and say, Lord, this is your child now. There's nothing I can do. 
Yes, I also would like to add, we need to listen. We need to listen to our children and hear what it is that they're saying to us. Hear also what it is that they're not saying to us. Remove our own ego that may be in the way of parenting. Because as parents, because we have been through a lot and because we do have more experience, we do oftentimes have, you know, a lot more wisdom. Sometimes, just sometimes, that may get in the way of us really being able to humble ourselves and hear what our children are saying. So that's one of the things that I've learned just in my own personal experience. I listen more. As um, I've said before, I take the the cotton out of my ears and put it in my mouth (laughs) and um, just put myself in a position to where I actually can hear what my children are saying and not be so quick to um, respond. I notice that when I allow time to go by, opposed to just being caught up in my own personal feelings. Uh, or emotion, when I allow just a little time to go by, even if it's just a couple hours or a day or so before I address certain things, then I'm learning more about what it is that, or the point that my children are making, because I have time to see, and then sometimes they will come around, because a lot of times during this period of time, as they're transitioning into adulthood, um, that's exactly what it is, it's a transition. And when transitioning, sometimes there are things that may appear rough um, or just uh, maybe not as smooth as we would like to see it. Another thing I would say outside of listening and hearing what our children have to say and and also um, just being humble is making sure that we are keeping our children plugged in to whatever spirituality or spiritual way of life that we feel is best to them. So even if it may sound like, you know, a broken record, I'm still going to quote and continue to quote the things that I know are good for you. I'm still going to walk around the house and be that parent that every once in a while, you know, I may just have to give you a little lecture. And guess what? It'll be the same ones that you're going to repeat 20 years from now. So if I say you don't believe that me is greasy or whatever the case might be, or your failure to follow instructions will cause you to lose your life, or, you know, have you not learned that your word shall be bond and your bond shall, or you should be willing to give your life if your word shall fail? Just different things I'm constantly repeating, but I don't just repeat them. I give the meaning behind them. And then I'll ask them. And then I oftentimes will use those in an example. And if I should find that they do something or find themselves in a situation, I'll ask some questions. Now, how does that relate to, you know, what I had told you last week? You know, remember mom said that such and such and -and so-and-so, do you see the correlation? Or I may even ask if they do something that I consider to be just outrageous or stupid or just didn't make much sense or they didn't put that thinking cap on, then I'll even ask the question, what do you think you could have done differently? Or do you feel that that was the best choice? So, yeah, that, that's something else I think that could 
added to the solution list. I guess we can also be supportive. And it's funny because I was talking to my mom and she's like, you got to be supportive. I mean, she has to go out on her own and she got to try it and she got to fail. But you just got to be supportive and don't be judgmental when she's on her way back. Um, and so I just have to be patient and, and be supportive. And so I'll, I'll give that as a solution. Um, I'm going to try to be as supportive as I can. And, and it's, it's less judgmental and understand that, you know, we have to understand that our children are young and they want, and they see us and they want to emulate us and they see we do it so easily. They figure I could do it, but what they see is the finished product. They don't really necessarily, they haven't had the opportunity to see us when we were 18 trying out like they're doing it. So have to be, we have to be supportive. I had a couple things that I that I was thinking about um, in terms of solutions that, um, for us as parents, and 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 partly, it is a part of learning to ease up um, and allowing them an opportunity to explore. And it, I mean, it kind of goes to what you're saying, and allowing them to make their mistakes, and not when they not when it happens. We don't have to judge them, but you know, that's something that I think we really have to um, start to talk to them about is the outcomes, you know, and, and, you know, how it impacts their life. And sometimes it is examples. And I think one of the things we do have to get away from, and I know that it happened with my parent and I found myself doing it as well. You know, that saying that I think most black people hear, you don't do as I do, you do as I say do. Right. But we have to, I think we have to understand that we do have to be an example for our children because they are paying attention and they are looking and they will, like you said, in terms of wanting to emulate you, yeah, they see certain things as easy, but I'm talking about other behavioral things that we do um, in front of our children that also allow them to, you know, either want to be there or not to be there. And your decisions that you make, you do have to keep your children in mind when you make decisions because again, they're watching your example and they may respect you and they may lose respect for you based on that example. And once your children lose respect for you, you've lost them. I think that is such a um, great point. Um, about the respect as well as the example. I know what I do a lot of, um, more so now than I did before, is I use my past experiences um, to teach lessons in current situations. So like if I find that my children are going through something or they're experiencing something, that I know that I've been through, even if it's something that maybe I don't want to talk about, it could have happened 20, 30 years ago. But you know, sometimes if we don't share what we've been through, then our children really have no clue as to whether or not, um, I mean, they, they look at us sometimes like angel, sometimes. Like, so I like to share some of the stinky stuff. <laughs> I will go ahead and share and be like, look, you know what, back when I was your age or, you know, somewhere around your age, this is what I did. And these were the results. 
Oh, like, really, Ma, you did that? I can't believe you did something like that. Well, yes, I did do that. Remember, I was your age at one time. And at that time, this is the decision that I made. And if I can look back on it now and I, if I could change things, I would have definitely done things different. And I use that by saying, listen, this is how you know that maybe sometimes the decision that you're making may not be the best decision. Because here, your mother made a similar decision almost 25 plus years ago. But did you see how my maturity has caused me to think different? And do you see how I, um, you know, my thinking is different now, more different than it was then? What about you? What kind of decision do you think you would have made if you were my age? Or if you, you know, if this was your, you know, um, experience. So just kind of being honest, I guess, and being transparent. So I would say transparency of the things that I've done in the past and decisions that I've made that were not good to go ahead and show some of the ugly, to go ahead and show some of the dysfunction, to go ahead and show some of the decisions that I made that may not have been the best so that they can learn. And don't think the mama just floated out the sky somewhere with a cape. Nope, I didn't. So I would add that to the list. Wow, that's a powerful list right there. Very powerful list. I'm sure our listeners could could see value in <clears throat> in many of those answers and hopefully be able to apply those answers. Man, this has been a, a very powerful uh podcast recording. Man, it's been a very inspirational and a very emotional one. I mean, like how this started after it started on my own personal experience. My 18-year-old decided to leave the house. So I'm grateful for you too. I love you both. And thank you so much for helping me get through this emotionally. But at the same time, we were able to share this with so many other parents that are going through the same thing or who have went through the same thing. So We love you listen- too. Oh man, I start crying. <laughs> but, uh, you know the journalist came out of you, Akiva, when you were like, I need to press record, I need to press record. <laughs> I started thinking about it like the journalist came out of her. <laughs> what I mean. Thank you all so much, man. And I, I pray that this be a powerful message for our parents. And that it's funny. I just want to add that someone stated in a text message or Facebook message, I might add, that someone needs to start a support group for young people starting out like that. And I said, wow, maybe that's what Royal Empress needs to do. So we talked about that community. We need to, we need to spark that. We need to be a catalyst for bringing or steering our community back to the purpose of griots, which is our elders who add so much value and wisdom to our community. Mm-hmm. It's what we have to do. We have to be a, a catalyst for bringing back the old griots, the old storytellers that our community has thrived on for millions of years. We have to um, rely on them. We have to be a catalyst for them. So thank you to our listening audience, and we'll see you Thanks for listening to another episode 
of Conversations with the Royal Empress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Empress, please visit the website royalempress.org. You can also follow the Royal Empress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Empress is a subsidiary of the Royal Empress Organization. All rights reserved.